mentioned earlier in the service, we are continuing our studies this morning in the, in, uh, the book of Exodus, and we've reached Exodus chapter 5, and uh, we'll be reading from verses 1 to 23. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. (coughs) Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Amen. Pharaoh was the man in charge. He exercised absolute authority over the land of Egypt, and his word was law. He was not a reasonable man. His control over the Israelites was exercised through middlemen. 
He had Egyptian slave drivers whose job it was to implement his demands. They were the ones entrusted with the task of ensuring that the Israelites produced the requisite number of bricks every day for Pharaoh's ambitious building programs. They were not reasonable men. The title, slave driver, tells you that. They were the bullies armed with whips and clubs to ensure that the reluctant and recalcitrant slaves were working at full capacity. Beneath them were the Israelite foremen. They had the task of trying to keep everyone happy in an impossible situation. They were the negotiators. They were the ones standing between the slave drivers and the slaves, committed to trying to get the best deal for all concerned. They were the ones who negotiated quotas and working hours and tried to figure out how, pro- how productivity targets could be met without working everyone to death. They were reasonable men. And that's why they weren't in charge. As George Bernard Shaw once observed, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Pharaoh was in charge because he wasn't reasonable. Under him were the slave drivers. They weren't reasonable. Beneath them were the foremen, and under them were the slaves. That was how the system had worked for years, decades, centuries even. Changing that system was never going to be easy. But changing that system was the task entrusted to Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron were negotiators. They were reasonable men. They knew full well that there was no way that Pharaoh was ever going to relinquish his workforce. There was, of course, a degree of irony in that. The original reason why the Israelites had been enslaved was that their presence in Egypt had been perceived as a threat because there were so many of them. You would have thought then that the offer simply to up and leave would have been a solution to be welcomed by the authorities. If they were gone, they weren't a threat anymore. But having taken the step of subjugating and enslaving and exploiting the Israelites, the Egyptians now found that although they never really wanted them in the land, they now couldn't manage without them. Moses and Aaron knew that the Lord had plans to set his people free. And they knew that Pharaoh, an unreasonable man, was not going to accept that in any way, shape or form. So as reasonable men, they started with what looked like a fair request. They tried to negotiate the deal that might be granted. Would Pharaoh please grant them leave to go into the desert to sacrifice to the Lord their God who had appeared to them? Moses, uh, Pharaoh refuses point blank. Even when Moses and Aaron plead that there may be serious repercussions for the Israelites if Pharaoh refuses their request. The Lord might strike them with a plague or with a sword. And Pharaoh's point blank refusal is a measure of how little he cares for the people. What is it to him if their God punishes them because Pharaoh has said no to the request to go and worship in the desert? 
Of course, in the end, it's Pharaoh and his people who suffer because of Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to listen to Moses and Aaron. And a wiser king than Pharaoh might have paused to consider the possible consequences for himself of refusing to acknowledge a God who demands and requires obedience from his people. But Pharaoh professes not to know the Lord. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? He asks scornfully. The very idea that Pharaoh, the man with absolute authority, the most powerful man in Egypt, should have to obey any authority other than his own was preposterous. And so he responds in no uncertain terms, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh was astute enough to see that Moses and Aaron's request and approach to him was really a challenge to his authority and one that needed to be dealt with swiftly and ruthlessly, otherwise this insubordination would just spread These men clearly did not know their proper place and needed to be put in it. Googling challenge to authority while preparing for this sermon, I was surprised to read on a website for small business leaders that an employee who challenges your authority disrupts the workforce and negatively impacts the morale within a department or division by distracting other workers from the task at hand. Pharaoh could have read that but that's impossible. Perhaps the website writers had had read Exodus, I don't know. Pharaoh wasn't running a small business, he was running a huge nation, but his perception of Moses and Aaron's request is a textbook example of what a challenge to authority looks like in the workplace. This is disrupting the workforce. This is distracting the workers from the task in hand. This is affecting productivity. It must stop. Pharaoh's response was to up the ante. They want a holiday? Clearly they have far too much time on their hands if they can spend time daydreaming about taking a mini-break in the wilderness. He tells the slave drivers to make them work harder. So they no longer have the time to pay attention to lies and attempts to challenge his authority and secure better working conditions for themselves. How many bricks have they agreed to produce each day? Okay, that's the deal that's been agreed and we won't change that, but the contract doesn't specify anywhere who will produce the straw they need to make these bricks. So from now on, find your own straw. Go into the fields, Gather the stubble yourselves to produce the straw that you need to make the bricks that you've agreed to make. And so Pharaoh turns the screw on the Israelite foreman and the slaves under his control. And on the face of it, he's acting as a reasonable man. The contract only specifies the number of bricks to be produced each day. He's not requiring them to produce any more bricks than the number has been agreed and negotiated. But in practice, of course... The need for the Israelites to scour the land in search of stubble made their work impossible. There was no way that they could meet their quotas. The productivity targets were way out of their reach. And as a result, the Israelite foremen were beaten because they weren't able to fulfil the quotas that they themselves had agreed. Not for the first time, reasonable men who were doing their best were hammered 
for it. In desperation, they tried bypassing the slave drivers appointed over them and went and appealed directly to Pharaoh. We cannot make the number of bricks you require because now we've got to gather our own straw. It's simply too much for us to do. You are blaming us, but it's not our fault. Please just tell your slave drivers we can't carry on making this many bricks without straw. It was a reasonable request made by those who had been appointed as foremen because they were reasonable men, but Pharaoh was not a reasonable boss. Your problem is that you're lazy. You're just bone idle. That's the only reason you keep on going on about the need to have a break to go and worship the Lord your God. The answer is no. Get back to work. You will not be given any straw, but make no mistake about it, we will still require exactly the same number of bricks. He was demanding the impossible, of course. The saying, you can't make bricks without straw, comes from this episode in the Bible and means that nothing can be made or accomplished without proper or adequate materials. Pharaoh's demand was totally unreasonable. But then he was not a reasonable man. (coughs) And Pharaoh's demands, when when you peel it all back, what he demanded had nothing to do, actually, with productivity targets or the supply of raw materials. His policy had the single aim of cutting the ground from under the feet of those who were challenging his authority. And as a response on his part, it was devastatingly effective. His ruthless and retaliatory response to Moses and Aaron completely destroyed any standing they had in the community. Because the people needed to know that this was how any insubordination would be dealt with. Pharaoh's reaction to Moses and Aaron's request to him was meant to ensure that they were finished as potential leaders before they'd even begun. And it was devastating in its effectiveness. When Moses and Aaron had come to the people and told them that the Lord had sent them to set the people free and had shown them the signs that the Lord had given them to perform, the staff turning into a snake, Moses' hand becoming leprous and then being healed again, the people had believed when they heard that after all this time the Lord had seen their misery and was concerned about them, their response was to bow their heads and worship. Wow. God is real. God is there. God cares. For the first time in generations, they dared to hope that things could be better because there was a God who cared for them. So when Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh for that first time, they did so with the full backing of the elders of the Israelites. The way that Pharaoh dealt with their request effectively demolished all that support for them. As Moses and Aaron anxiously waited outside Pharaoh's palace to hear how the delegation of Israelite foremen had got on with their appeal to Pharaoh, you can hear the hatred and the anger in the voices of the Israelite foreman as they turn on Moses and Aaron. God damn you! You've made a stink in Pharaoh's eyes and his henchmen. You've just given them the excuse they needed to massacre us all. You have put the sword into their hands. 
You see, Pharaoh knew exactly what he was doing. There was no better way to ensure that nothing came of this challenge to his authority and that no one else would ever challenge him again. And at a human level, that plan worked perfectly. He had asserted his authority and he was still the supreme ruler of Egypt. The only problem was that he hadn't taken God into account. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh asked. Well, Pharaoh was about to find out. I don't know the Lord, Pharaoh declared. Well, God was about to introduce himself to Pharaoh and make himself known. Because there is only one who has absolute authority, and that's the Lord. And Pharaoh had completely misjudged the situation in supposing that this request to go into the wilderness was merely some ploy developed by Moses and Aaron to try and ensure better working conditions for the people. They'd been sent by God. And while Pharaoh's tactics had worked perfectly in terms of ensuring that Moses and Aaron lost all their popular support among the leaders of the Israelites, in actual fact, Moses and Aaron were bound to a higher authority than that of Pharaoh. And while Pharaoh thought that he was asserting his independence, in actual fact, the Lord had already seen and anticipated all of this and knew that this was precisely what Pharaoh would do. God was ultimately in charge. And in stamping on Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh was challenging the Almighty God. But Pharaoh couldn't see that. And nor could Moses either at this precise point in time. His prayer of protest reveals his anguish at what is happening. God, you've just made everything worse. Why did you send me to these people if this is the outcome? You've done nothing to rescue them. Sending me to Pharaoh has done nothing but bring trouble down upon the heads of your people. Here is a man in complete and utter despair. He tried to make things better and just seen everything fall apart. He'd failed before he'd even really started. And humanly speaking, at that point in time, he was finished. Because that was Pharaoh's agenda for him. And failure is a devastating experience. George Appleton, in his book, Journey for a Soul, has this to say about failure, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again. At times in the past, religious men have felt that if they're faithful to God, he must grant them success, guaranteeing them against defeat, suffering, failure. Men in misfortune sometimes ask, what have I done? that God should do this to me? And the answer is probably nothing. With the denial that God is responsible at all for the unfortunate happening, though there's still the mystery of his providence and the interlocking of cause and effect in the human scene. At any point in his life, a man may write under his own life story so far the words to be continued. The final chapter 
always remains to be written. And it can be written in co-authorship with God if the man so wills. Exodus chapter 5 ends with Moses in despair. The foreman of Israel utterly demoralised, all the power of Egypt firmly in the hands of Pharaoh. They think it's all over, but they're wrong. Because this is only Exodus chapter 5, and there are 40 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. And Exodus is only the second book in the Bible, and there are 66 books in the Bible. This is not how it ends. How does it end? Ultimately, it ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is only one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. And he holds your life in his hands. Whatever failures lie in the past, wherever you find yourself today, he invites you to put your trust in him for the future and let him write the next chapter in your life. Let's pray. Lord, for those who feel they've reached the end, would you enable them to discover that when they get there and turn a corner, actually there's a new beginning? For those trapped in despair, would you hold on to them until the darkness breaks away and the light of your hope shines again in their heart and mind. For those who don't know you, (coughs) enable them to trust you to write the next chapter of their life. And for those who feel that everything is just chaotic, Enable them to trust that above and beyond all that, you are Lord. And absolute and sovereign authority rests with you. And we can trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen.